Hello, today I got to have a really amazing conversation with Alexa Fisher, who's a friend of mine that we actually met uh, because we both are in product-based businesses and we had the same wholesale rep and we met at trade shows and became fast friends. And I just did want to mention that this episode was recorded uh, during the beginning phases of the pandemic, uh, but many, many months ago at this point. So I just wanted to give some more context to the conversation. But Alexa is just really one of those people that are just a light in the world. And she has a very optimistic perspective and um, has really interesting stories about uh, her family and her uh, career and her sort of reinvention. So I hope that you find some inspiration with this conversation and I look forward to sharing even more of these conversations with you guys in the upcoming weeks. All right, Alexa, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so happy to be here. I just think you're the coolest. So the chance that I get to hang out with you, even if we're recording a podcast, is awesome. <laughs> I think so, too. I think so, too. So we, we're we both in this sort of wellness business, right? And we both sort of create product-based wellness business, which is a little bit different because a lot of the wellness businesses out there are experiential or maybe a yoga studio or um, you know other types of businesses. So we're going to get into all that you've created. But with our guests, I love to start from either childhood or even before then, if you want to share anything about sort of like your parents. But I'm trying to get a framework for what religion or spirituality looked like from you, from your, you know, from day one in your, in your life. So what was that like, like your parents or what was like to be an infant? You know, I always have sort of anchored the discussion about myself and my story around this idea that I'm a people person. Like I really have always been delighted and curious about people. Um, Coming from a spiritual or my religious background, actually my mom is uh, coming from an Episcopalian family and my dad is Jewish. And both of them had independently sort of not really been, they weren't really practicing religion. So growing up, I would call myself like I had this blank slate. And it's not to say that my family wasn't spiritual in some ways, although that was heavily masked during the, I would call the 70s, in which there was a lot more um, (laughs) exploration happening in other (laughs) ways. But I I do think I, (laughs) yeah, that's loaded. But you know, there was, there was, it was the 70s. I, I, my, I have two boys. I have, I have two boys, and I showed them. I remember when they were quite young. They were very into baseball, and I remember showing them the the, TV, the movie Bad News Bears. If you watch the Bad News Bears, you will actually get the best insight into growing up in the 70s because that movie right now, which I remember watching, like go, my parents took me to the movies when I was a little thing, it is so inappropriate. Oh, my God. Um, so anyway, that was sort of the ca- the essence of growing up in the 70s, where just like anything went, there was a whole lot of partying going on, a lot of inappropriate conversation, and you just grew up, you know, you just figured it out. Um, but some highlights, a little snapshot of my life. I don't entirely remember infant, being an infant. I have little snapshots. My parents got divorced when I was really tiny. I was like two. And uh, I don't really have tons of memories about that time. It's nothing like divorce as a great growth opportunity. Um, <laughs> but but I, I do have these moments, you know, where 
I have this sense when I was little that I was watching this movie of my life unfold with kind of a knowing that some things were deeply screwed up. I did. I had this sort of other knowing that I that my brother, I have a sibling, so my brother had a very different experience of this crazy divorce that we went through that extended out over years. And um, and he handled it totally a, a different way than I did. I was very much like the Joan of Arc of divorced parents and talking about what's wrong and the injustice and this isn't right because there was a lot of bickering that carried on through years and years and years through my mom's remarriage and and then he ended up that our my new dad ended up adopting my brother and I and all kinds of drama rama but I always was very vocal about it um, and I had this deeper sense that I had a a truth or an awareness maybe even a little bit of an maturity that's going to sound mean to my brother but an awareness of who of of a life or knowledge beyond my years and i often equated it to this idea in greek mythology that when you're passing over the river of sticks it's also known as the river of forgetfulness and when you are transitioning from the being in the beyond to incarnating into a life form, you drink from the river sticks as a river of forgetfulness where you let go of past stories so that you can begin anew. And I would often think that I just took a little less sip, like a little tinier sip than my brother. <laughs> so that maybe I had a little bit more that I remembered so that, you know, later in life when I learned about, you know, past lives and I would read about past lives, it all like made so much sense to me. And it felt like I had a little bit of awareness. So going back to when I was a little littles, you know, I, I, I delighted in doing things like, cause there was a lot of tension and a lot of weirdness in my household. But I remember like grabbing lighters and singing in front of the fireplace to hollow notes, you know, um, you're, you're a rich girl or it's a bitch girl, you know, you're a rich girl and you've gone too far, you know, that one. And I would like make people laugh. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would like, I would just be like, how can I make this situation better? And so, you know, I could go on and on. But but that was sort of the spirit of me, this genuine curiosity about about people, this awareness of of looking and scanning the scene. What's going on? Why are people behaving this way? Um, and a desire to make it better. That's who I am. So it sounds also like you're an observer, right? Like you're able to sort of you were you observing your surroundings and kind of taking it in and it with with a sense of wisdom it sounds like well i think that observation and the love of people actually translated into a love of acting and um, because true acting is the study of human behavior and the deep identification or investigation into what does this character what does this person that i'm embodying want what do they want what is that what are they going for? And then when there's conflict that arises, that's drama. You know, that's who are the people getting in your way? What's the challenge? What do you have to overcome? That's the drama. That's the interest. And so I, uh, there's been very distinct chapters in my career. And starting in, I think, middle school, I actually found drama as this creative outlet of self-expression, but also that deep inquiry into what makes people tick. I had an amazing drama teacher, Judy White, who when I was in eighth grade, 
introduced me to the work of Studs Terkel, who wrote this phenomenal book, Working, and there are chapters that are true stories, almost monologues, and it's it was done, it has been performed theatrically in the monologue form of real people and their stories. So my love of real people, real stories, I would love to pour over the, the photography of Richard Avedon and other, you know, Life magazine and looking into the eyes of all kinds of different people, and I would feel them. I would see them. I would be curious about you know, the drama of Shakespeare and what it felt like just to put myself in someone else's shoes. And I took that love of acting and I studied acting in undergraduate. I actually went to graduate school at the Yale School of Drama and studied acting. And then, you know, it's time to be an adult and, and, you know, make a living and make a go of it. And so that brought me to Los Angeles, appearing in TV shows and commercials and some films. And, and then, you know, Hollywood is crazy. All the cliches that you hear are true. <laughs> and um, after working with some some true maniacs uh, who are celebrities, which will remain unnamed, I thought, this is so nuts. Everyday Come on, people. We want, give us a little. No, no, <laughs> no. One thing I've learned in my time, you do not, you do not do that. You do not, you do not share names. Just they were crazy. Um, and I, you know, and I, I, I thought, you know, this is so nuts that everyday people put themselves down when they compare themselves to the celebrities that they see on, you know, TV and film and these airbrush pictures that they see in People magazine. And the truth is that everybody is a star. Everybody has the same amount of light. They were born with it. But they block that light in that terrible habit of comparing themselves to other people and thinking that they're less lucky, less beautiful, less talented, less whatever, when... You know, celebrities are literally just like you and I. And when I have been on in the makeup trailer getting ready and I watched, you know, someone sit next to me in the chair and truthfully, she looked awful. And I thought, who is this person that they're making up? Like maybe there's some segment that they're like dealing with. I don't even know what. And then and they said things like, again, remained unnamed. They would say things that this woman, her hairdresser, makeup artist said to her, you know, you really need to wash your hair. Like, I can't continue to work with your hair this way. Like, this is the confession that I'm hearing. She's getting ready in the makeup chair next to mine. Slowly, slowly, they begin to put on her makeup. They start to do her hair, a lot of dry shampoo powder, this sort of thing. And I go, oh, my God, this is one of the leads of the show, the TV show, very popular. And I thought I, she was unrecognizable when she walked into the trailer. So I say to myself, okay, self, I know that I have a passion for people and I have a desire to teach, to help people unlock their inner light, to teach them how to be the star of their own life. And it was actually on that same that same job when this experience happened with this actress that I ended up, oh, if I give it, if I go deeper, you're going to know who this is then. So I'm going to have to be careful with what I say. But essentially, <laughs> I had this aha moment on set when I've got some fake blood coming out of my mouth and I'm on set and I've been waiting, you know, on making television. There's so much waiting around. Oh, my God. And, and waiting and waiting, and it was like a 15-hour day, and I'm laying on the filthy floor, and I've got fake blood coming out of my mouth, and I say to God, what the heck am I doing with my life? Like, this is not 
what I have worked so hard to do with my precious minutes on the planet and the impact that I want to make. And it was in that moment that I asked for a sign. Literally, I was like, straight up, I need a sign. Because if I do this for the rest of my life, this is not cool. And on the outside, it looked successful, but inwardly, I knew this is not cool. And I, uh, I did get a sign. And my girlfriend called me up a couple days later, and she had was a makeup artist, artist that I had met on set years earlier, doing a Neosporin commercial. And she said, I've got a high profile client who needs a media trainer. And I immediately thought of you. And that opened the door to the second chapter of my career, uh, teaching people about communication, speaking skills, and confidence skills. And that chapter has led to almost 100,000 students online. I'm an online instructor. And, uh, and I've always been in the business of teaching people how to go after their goals and dreams. And, and it was from that truth that the idea for Wish Beads came downloaded to me, which is my product-based business intention, intention setting jewelry. I've skipped a lot, Kelly. That's incredible. I've skipped I know, a lot. Go back. I know, but we got to go back. But that's that's we got to go back. Th- there's definitely a through line there that that literally is from the time I was a little a little wee peanut to who I am now, all 48 years on the planet. For sure, for sure. Well, I'm I'm curious about the acting piece and how you kind of you said you stumbled into that just as early as middle school, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering is. Is, is connecting to that form of creativity, was that, did that at all feel like a spiritual connection? I'm, I'm kind of curious when people get in that flow state, and I, I feel like that's what happens when you're acting and you're training yourself sort of into that at a very young age. I'm curious if there is an overlap at all with, with spirituality or your spirit or your, your life force. I think it has to be. I mean, look at the great actors and actresses. Meryl Streep is literally one of my favorites. If you look into her eyes, when she is um, performing in Sophie's Choice, if you know this this movie, I think people don't realize how powerful it is. And she mm. she's not there. She is channeling, and she channels her her characters. Maybe not every single one of her movies, but she's. She's phenomenal and great actors and actresses. This is what they do. They become a vessel. And when I am, a, I'm a big meditator. And when I meditate in meditation, essentially, you are training yourself to go beyond the ego self. You're putting yourself to the side and you're allowing yourself to be a vessel and to transcend, to find that quiet, the mm-hmm. quiet energy that's available in any given moment. And I know that when I think back, and I hadn't really connected this, Kelly, until you brought it up, middle school was really a hard time for me. And I found, I went to an all-girls school, mm-hmm. and I found that the girls were very confusing to me and, and mean. And uh, I found it to be one of the most painful times of my life. It's a, it's a confusing time anyway because of all the hormones and all the rest of it. But in particular for me, I remember showing up one day at school, I don't know what I did, but suddenly I was hated. And mm. I was, um, you know, I did one of those classic things where you take your tray at lunch and you put it down to the table where you typically sat and everyone got up and left. Like that actually happened oh, to wow. me. And I was so confused by it. And I would imagine when I look back now that that class, that Judy White, who I'm still friends with today, that, that I came into, you know, because I, I, I did like, you know, performing, I guess. But when she offered that class, 
it was with actually new people. There were probably people in that class who weren't from my friend's set. And you know how clicky people can be. I've always despised clicks, but, you know, people tend to hang out with this pack of people. And they were different people. And there was a new energy, a fresh energy, and it gave me a safe place to to get out of my own story and to feel what it felt like, especially going back to that that book, Working, by Studs Terkel, which were people that it was nothing like me, men, women. We played men, we played women, and it was so different. But that's how you develop empathy, and that's how you develop this sense and, and of what would it feel like to be someone who is without a home, really, not just as a concept or a political discourse or a call to action, but what would it feel like to be in someone else's skin and walking around with a threat to your life because of what you look like? What would that feel like? And acting gives you that vehicle to step into someone else's experience and it gives you a blueprint or a script to do that. Now, Cut to the entertainment industry. No, no, no. They do not want you to play anything other than exactly what you look like. So I played lawyers. I played twisted pharmaceutical executives, moms. I played, you know, I mean, so many roles that literally were, you know, you see Alexa walking down the street. That's what you look like. That's what you get. But when you're, when you're exploring from a theatrical point of view, whether it's a class or a play or Shakespeare or Noel Coward or whatever, you get to really play. And that's how you develop empathy. And, uh, and I think that I, I learned that at that time, but from a place of really, I believe, personal need and pain, which was to make sense of, of middle school, which was deeply confusing to me. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, when did you start getting cast and going on auditions? About what age were you? Well, I started, I went to school at Northwestern outside of Chicago, and I think I I started working with some agents there, um, but doing commercials and stuff, and I had really had no clue what I was doing. But I ended up working in Chicago after I graduated. I did a lot of plays, and I would do some TV shows. I actually had this crazy job, and this is so funny because it totally makes sense, but I was like looking for work. I always like ran like coffee shops and stuff. And in Chicago, everybody had like day jobs and we did plays and we did a bunch of stuff. It was fun. Um, but I had this crazy job where I was hired to be, I was hired by, I don't think it was Northwestern Medical School, but it might have been where I had to be, I had to portray a really high powered, uptight, aggressive, pregnant woman and have a medical student, I mean, this is so perfect for me now, and have a medical student um, deal with me, like pretend I was their patient. And then afterward, I would critique their bedside manner. Like, how perfect is this for me, right? In hindsight, this was like the perfect job. Because I would would walk in there and be like, listen, I have a meeting, or I'd pretend to be on my phone, or I'd be like, look, I know, I'm pregnant, whatever, I've gained weight, I need to get out of here. And I would like do this whole (laughs) drama-rama thing, right, with them, these poor people, and they were terrible. They were mostly terrible, because they don't teach best side manner in in medical school. Maybe they do now. This is a long time ago. And then afterward, I would do this very detailed report about how they could improve (laughs) their bedside manner because they need to elicit trust. They need to understand how important it is to take prenatal vitamins or whatever. It was like, how do you establish boundaries? How do you remove distractions? I mean, my God, I ended up building a career after, you know, acting of teaching people how to be better communicators. It was like perfect. It was the perfect gig. 
So, that um, so that's what I did. Isn't that so funny? That was my job. That's so funny. So it is funny. <laughs> I guess what I was curious, I was curious about though, as far as like being cast and I'm wondering, you know, as a young woman, really trying to define yourself independent of your career, what kind of place does that put you in mentally when you're getting told externally how you show up, who you are, you know, what you should be like versus sort of your inner landscape of trying to individuate and understand who you are really? Because that's interesting. Not very many people get that reflection back to them at a young age to say, well, this is how you present. I mean, that's feedback. Um, I don't know. I'm curious what that's like. Great question. I remember a few distinct moments in my career. And I tell people now, especially as I'm teaching people, whether they're wishing for their wishes with wish beads or you're taking a class learning how to be confident on camera or to pitch yourself or to ignite your light or whatever, rejection is part of the story. And I have like a PhD in rejection because I was a professional actress for a decade. And really what actors do, people who are really working actors, is they get rejected constantly. But I remember when I was like 29 and I was going to my fancy agent's office in Beverly Hills. Not Yeah, I think it was in Beverly Hills. And my agent, who was a woman, looked at my headshots. And back in the day, they had like contact sheets, if people even remember what that is, but essentially looking at all the photos that I would take. And she said to me, you know, Alexa, I really think you need an eyelid lift. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Like, what are you talking about? Because I said, I said, listen, maybe I need to open my eyes a little brighter or the angle needs to be whatever. I am not going to slice my eyelids to make that like what? And this is from my female agent. I had been told from different gigs when I was up for big series regular roles that my boobs weren't big enough. How about that? Um, all this external stuff. So this is sort of one aspect of the industry that is quite, 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 quite real. But the other thing that I do remember is that I went out for a lot early on in my career. I did a lot of commercial auditioning, commercials, 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 um, especially because back in the day, that was a way for people to make a substantial amount of money, qualify for health insurance. And uh, I remember feeling so frustrated because you walk in and they give you a description, you know, really kind of like, you know, um, meet Susie. She's, you know, 24 to 34 you know, bright, bubbly, mom of two, so busy, but always gets the job done or some like some description. And you're like, okay, got it, mom. And you'd call and, you know, you go to your wardrobe and you're like putting on your pink cardigan and you're, you know, doing the hair and you're doing all the things. And the whole time you're thinking to yourself, what do they want? What are they looking for? Let me see if I can, you know, I'll just be that person. Am I too smiley? And it was always about like, what can I, what, what can I do from for them? What are they? What is the green light that they're looking for, so that I'm going to be that part, right? And I got to a place where I was like, I am wasting so much time running all over the dang place, trying to get these jobs. I don't know how to get them. I am trying to work so hard. I'm tr I'm I'm doing all these things. Screw it. And I remember my husband saying to me like, Okay, fine, screw it. But what happens if you just show up? And don't care so much. Like, just don't care. Like, show up and be you. Like, you obviously look around the room. There's 30 people there. They all look different. They're going to pick one of them. But screw up. Just show up, do your thing, and leave. 
And so I was like, yeah, whatever. Okay. So I would, you know, I would do my thing. But Kelly, I am telling you, the minute that I just showed up, did my shizzle, left it in the room and got back in my car, I booked jobs one after another, after another, after another. And I was like, what is this? What is this thing called don't give a crap? Like, what magic is this? <laughs> and what the sp- the bigger spiritual lesson, because I wasn't really quite as much a student of spiritual inquiry as I am now, really, it was about non-attachment. It was really about that thing of like careless in, in the spiritual jargon is non-attachment. Because there will always be the judgers. There will always be the gatekeepers. But there is always, there is you in the essence of who you are. And when you show up in a room, um, and it's all amplified because you are being judged very quickly. It's an audition. When you show up in the room and you've done your work, you're having fun, you're listening, you're present to whatever is happening. Suddenly that's when the magic happens. That's when the light is irresistible. And when people say yes, even if you, they weren't what they thought they were looking for, that energy is what they're saying yes to. And in my mind, because I was so frustrated, it was like, ah, screw it. Let's just do this thing. That's when the magic happens, when we get out of our own way and we be present to the process, we be present to the experience. And I'll tell you something, I had that happen to me this morning, if I may jump to the present or or from the very near future. (laughs) I have been in my own business and you know this, you have the the world of online ads and I've made Mm -hmm. online ads, top photography, edited my story, I've tested, I've done all the things as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. And I was talking to the guy who who works, this lovely guy that I work with who does my social media ads. And he said, Alexa, just yesterday, he said, Alexa, I got to tell you, remember that ad I shared with you like a month ago? It performs like crazy for another company. And it, it's like shot on an iPhone. I, when I looked at this ad the first time from my client, I was like, this thing looks like like nothing. Really? We're going to try it, try it? He said, but one thing I learned is that you just never know. And just, I encourage you, Alexa, just like make a video with your iPhone. Like just do it. Just like be yourself. Just keep it simple, like really simple. And let's just try it. He told me that a month ago. Life got busy. You know, Kelly, we're running things. It's in the middle of a pandemic. We got a lot going on. And this morning in the shower, because all my ideas come in the shower, it's God's phone booth. I, <laughs> I was like, it's overcast. That's good lighting. Uh, the construction on my street begins at 8 a.m., which means that if I get out, dry my hair, put a little something on my face, I'll have 18 minutes to shoot this thing. And let's just bang it out. Don't overthink it. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. And so we did. I got out. I'm like, yo, hubs, let's get out there. Let's just shoot this thing. Let's keep it fun, fresh. Let's get the dog out there. Let's just do it. All before the trucks start with the beep, 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 which I've been listening to for a month. And we did it, Kelly. And I don't know if this thing is going to be the thing that's going to let people know the magic of wish beads and get them curious. But I can tell you it's that same feeling of non-attachment, of the feeling when I was in flow with, with booking commercials one after another was this idea of like, just show up and do your shizzle and get out of the fear, get out of the overf- overthinking and, and ask your guides to help you, to hook you up, you know? And that's, the, that's that place of, I am a deeply spiritual person, but I show up in the world in my spirituality in a very everyday way. 
That's in the language of my book. It's in my website. It's in my courses. It's all infused with deep spiritual teaching, but, but people don't actually know that. Yeah, I love that. And that's what we preach all the time is that integration piece. And sort of one of my teachers says that we hide the teachings in plain sight because you're just talk, having normal conversations and offering normal adornments or candles or whatever. But if you can use it as the access point to the deeper learning, you're on to something, you know, and I think that you, you've you mastered that. That's exciting. So so when would you say you transitioned? Do you think that like the spiritual consciousness sort of just sort of creep crept in as you were experiencing life and gaining more awareness and presence? Or did you start to sort of be curious and tr- find different tracks to study? What did that look like for you? Yeah, go. let's go back to childhood. Um, actually, I think my spiritual inquiry came out of a sense of, of longing. And so I'll go back to that need. I think we seek when we are in need, which is actually a great reminder for those moments when we are uncomfortable, when we're in pain, when we're seeking um, challenge. That's actually the best growth opportunity. So again, in high school, I had some highs. I had some lows. I had... Uh, I. It was confusing and, and, and in a kind of a delirious way, right? That's actually in, in a delirious way as, as, as being a teenager often is. And at some point, someone, uh, maybe even my brother, I'm not sure, uh, introduced me to Carlos Castaneda's books. And holy moly, was I hooked. I tore through those books and I was like, what magic alchemy is this? Now, in the same time, my mom hit uh, like some inquiry sheet. She, just to go back in time, she was a ballet dancer. She was a dancer who was actually forced by my grandmother to go to school because the deal that my mom brokered with my grandmother was when she graduated high school, no, wait, we're going to go back further in time. My mom's, my mom's um, stepfather was tragically killed in a plane crash when my mom was 12 or 13. And after his death, the only way that she could find meaning in her life was to throw herself into ballet. And so she became like crazy passionate ballet. It was her whole life. And she and she had an opportunity when she graduated high school to, I think, appear in a movie, which I don't think she ever shot. But she also was allowed to go on tour in South America. And my mom, my grandmother said, the only way you can, I will agree to you to go on tour in South America is after one year, you will go to college. And of course, she just wanted to go to South America. So she's like, you got it done. So, but P.S., she's in South America when her mom is like, oh, and by the way, like somehow, I'm not sure how this all went down, but basically she got into college and my grandmother was going to force her to go. So then she finds herself in college. Now, Meanwhile, the first year, the first week of college, I think, she actually meets my father. So they end up dating in uh, in college. Then she ends up, they're planning on getting married. This is now the 60s. This is the 60s. And she ends up getting a tumor in her uterus. Hmm. And the doctor says, well, if you really want to get rid of this tumor, 
if you want to help yourself, we're going to remove it. But then if you get pregnant, which of course it's the 60s and you're already planning on getting married, so it's a really, really good idea to immediately get pregnant, you will help the your uterus recover. This is all very like broad strokes and I don't even know if that's exactly what he said, but that's the gist of it, right? That's the medical advice that she got. So sure enough, she gets married after college. She... Um, my uh, my brother is then conceived shortly after. Uh, her path is set maybe uh, about 20 months after my brother's born, then I'm born. And um, and then they, they realize it's not working out. And I'm I, she's got two little kids under the age of four. So she's been a seeker and an artist and a kind of a kind of creator in her own right. But life and the timing of her life created a situation where she was a dancer, but then she wasn't. And then she was married and then she needed to have her own business. And she ended up creating a a, a chain of maternity stores. And then at a certain point, she was like, I I don't want to have maternity stores anymore. I'm going to become an aerobics instructor. Oh my God, there's some awesome pictures of this. I'm talking spandex thongs people. The, the, the days of Jane Fonda, we were doing Jane Fonda in her bedroom together when I was a teenager. And then she becomes a professional aerobics instructor. And then because of her aerobics instructor community, she meets a woman who introduces her to a channeler, a channeler. So then we're doing these like channeling sessions. My dad has nothing to do with this. It's like he he just puts up this invisible wall to be like, I do not know what you all are doing. But man, I was in, I, I don't think my brother participated, but this is all around the time that somehow I was introduced to Castaneda and um, there was like channeling and I just had sort of like opened my horizons. I also had um, very interesting personal experiences. I think your audience will appreciate this one in particular. So there was one night, because I think that like the, the something had been opened for me, the world of like phenomena or whatever. So one night in high school, and there was a lot going on again, it was one of those heated times in my life, um, when I was struggling a bit internally, externally, not so much, but internally, yes. And we had a woman, interestingly enough, the same woman who introduced this channeling, she was going through a tough bit and she was living with us. And there was a, there was a thunderstorm and I drove at the time a used uh, Volkswagen Cabriolet convertible. And when it would rain, it would leak. And I don't mean a little bit, like it would, the whole thing would leak. It like would turn into a little boat or like a sinking boat. Anyway, so there was a storm, it was raining and I woke up early for school, and at that point, I would drive myself to school. And this other woman was coming out to go start her day. We were just like starting the day. But when I reached, I got to my car. She was parked in front of me. And when I got to my car, I opened up the door, and this weird feeling of peace like rushed over me, like life just opened up. And I saw what could best be described as a hobo, and I use that term very intentionally, it was as if Disney casting had put this hobo who was sleeping in the backseat of my car. He was white. He was looked like he was in his late 60s, a little plump beard, disheveled. He literally had like a sack with him. I'm talking Disney freaking hobo cast. Was it on a stick? I don't think it was on a stick, but it was like slung over his shoulder. I kid you not. When I saw him, 
I knew that number one, I had seen him in my dreams the night before. I had a flash of me seeing in a premonition this dream of him checking doorknobs of what door he could crawl into to, to escape from the rain and curling up and taking residence on the backseat of my car. I want you to just note, side note, I grew up in Washington, D.C., in a very nice suburb of Washington, D.C. There were no people visible uh, that looked like hobos anywhere, ever. Not before, not after, nowhere. I mean, okay, so just note to self, no hobos. But I, <laughs> but I saw in my mind's eye, I remembered the vividness of this dream and seeing him at night, finding my car, crawling in. And then as I saw him, I wasn't panicked at all. This other woman started to be like, what is going on? So she saw him, okay? I opened up, I opened the back seat because it kind of, you know, a cabriolet is kind of small. So I pulled the seat forward. He crawls out. I am not nervous at all. I see him like, okay, I see you. And he starts walking away from me. Um, mind you, there is no smell at all. Okay. No smell at all in my car. No smell at all. There's no hobo. There's no smell. He has no smell. You know, you know, like in someone like valets your car and they like the cologne of the person is like all over your car. This was a person maybe who slept in my car. No smell. But as he, while he's walking away, he looks over his shoulder back at me to have like one last glance. And I'm like, yeah, I see you, dude. Like something is happening here. I am experiencing some otherworldly connection and I see you. And in that moment, the message that I could overwhelmingly feel is that I am supported, that there are other beings wow. around me. And I'm getting chills right now. So I know that that was the right message, that I am supported, mm. that I am being seen, that there are, mm. there are beings around me and that don't forget. And if you yeah. forget, you'll, you'll see us. You'll see us. Yeah. And so he walked away. She was freaking out. And all I could say was, I know this is weird, but it's fine. And I saw it in my dream. It's fine. And meanwhile, there's like six inches of water in the bottom of my cabriolet, which I then had to like scoop out. You know, it was nuts. It was nuts. That is nuts. That's a crazy story. So have you seen him or someone like that since no but i've had other uh, you know what do they call them like paranormal experiences yeah i, I, I have so many so, so many supernatural experiences um so many so yeah yeah i don't think your podcast is long enough <laughs> yeah <laughs> no we love to hear those sorts of yeah. things though yeah yeah no i did i do i do have weird uh, things happen to me um, but now I'm very intentional about that. I used to sort of be like, whoa, can you believe this happened to me? Um, but now I would say the last 10 years of my life, especially because I am much more intentional about myself as a spiritual student, a student of life, that I'm very intentional about my dreams. I'm intentional about light beings giving me signs. I created a whole business, Wish Beads, based on signs and coincidences and training your mind towards what you're ready to manifest in your life. And so I have less of the uh, beings that maybe can elicit kind of mm, funkier challenges, if you will, and yeah. more of the uh, signs of support that come to me in other ways. Oh, man. Well, why don't we get into this sort of how you've channeled your lifetime of experiences into your most 
recent endeavor, which would be the Wishbeat project, right? Is that your most, would you say that's your most recent? Yes. And I think it has a lot to do. Um, yeah. So the answer is yes. I don't know if you want to pose a question so I can go right into it. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm just curious. Just tell us more about it and how the Wishbeads brand and adornments that you've created is an access point to a more mindful or intentional life. Absolutely. I, you know, once I sort of transitioned out of acting and I started building my teaching practice that was around confidence and communication, I had this sort of signature um, methodology that I created that was anchored around like unlocking your thousand watt presence, this light that's inside of you. And it was really, you know, and then it started, you know, creating online courses, mostly because I'm a teacher that it, my teaching comes through speaking. So even before people were were building classes, I put myself in a room above a garage, even though I had a, a baby at home. And I just was determined to just solidify my teaching. And the best way for me to do it was to make classes. Uh, that way I could organize my my way of teaching, you know, what it is that is my methodology. But what was interesting at the core of all of this was this idea that you have to access your light. And it's this light that's in the center of your chest when you identify those obstacles or pesky negative thoughts that are holding you back, when you can start to have a way to examine your mind, your voice, your body, when you can start to use simple tools and exercises to get clear about that and have a way to build that confidence, that became the second chapter of my career you know, which is still actually something that I'm actively doing today. But it also perfectly positioned me, I believe, to receive the download for wish beads, which came in a flash in the shower. So when we talk about connecting to our inner guides, our spiritual practices, I believe that all we're doing is preparing ourselves to receive. And that that's why, you know, I'm told by, by my teacher that, you know, it's, you, you know, we are all actually enlightened in a way. We were born enlightened. We have everything that we need inside of us, but it is about removing the, the self-discovery process of getting, getting out of our own way so that we can truly um, bask in that light and access uh, the light that we are, that, that is essentially who we really are. But as it relates to wish beads, there was uh, some specific moments I think that led up to that moment where I was ready to receive. And specifically the night before the download in the shower, I was teaching a workshop at a local um, shelter, uh, an organization that helps women transition out of homelessness called Daybreak. And I was teaching them about the power of energy muscle testing, the power of positive thoughts. We had this great night where we where we were you know, physically showing them energy muscle testing and ways that they can use wherever they are right now to just stay a little bit more positive and stay focused. And we just had a beautiful night together. Anyway, I the next morning, I heard the name Wishbeads. I actually even saw the name Wishbeads. And I saw a product in which you would take that idea of visualizing a moment where everything feels just right, write it down in detail on paper, roll that paper up and glue it and cut it and create paper beads with your wishes inside, like a vision board you wear on your wrist. That was the first signature product of Wishbeads. And I'm telling you, Kelly, I, all, I saw it in one like multidimensional moment. And then yeah. the Alexa, you know, business person was like, 
for reals? Like the name Wish Beads is going to be available? Like I just was like, really? Like that's like the most <laughs> obvious name in the world, right? I didn't think like, oh, divine. That is like the greatest idea ever. I was like, wow, that's crazy. Whoa, that sounds like a cool idea. Really? Uh, there's no way Wish Beads is going to be available. So jump out of the shower. I'm like robe, dripping wet. I'm like, I'm just going to check on the computer. And sure enough, <laughs> right, I'm sure you can relate every time you have a great idea. But, you know, I, I go on the computer and sure enough, wishbeads.com is available. And for me, that was the green light from the universe that was like, okay, universe, game freaking on. Like I got the URL. I started like looking into trademarks before I even knew what this was. Now, you and I both know also that that's the seed. And then that the action is to like do something with it. And then comes the real work because I am not about telling people, oh, your wish is going to come true in 21 days. No, you, you know, wishes come true because it's intention, it's action, it's, it's um, commitment. It's, uh, it's a joyous journey of unfolding. Um, but, and it's hard work. It can be hard work or it can be easy work too, but but that's really where where I felt like, wow, I'm ready for the next iteration to grow myself and learn how to bring a physical product into the world. You know, and I, I launched a Kickstarter campaign. I took the Kickstarter campaign and then launched the, the, the Wish Beads kit. From that, I ended up morphing it into um, intentional gemstone bracelets. There's more than I'm developing. I, I wrote a book that got published called Wish Work, which is the 21-day process afterwards. But it has been this unfolding because it's, it is an extension of my mission to empower people to realize how amazing they are to make their wishes come true and um, how amazing they are to show up and be the star of their own life. It's always, it's always been the same thing for me. Wow, that's, that's an incredible way that that came. Just So how much time, I guess, between that initial shower download to someone purchased it that wasn't a friend. <laughs> oh, I love that. Like a real like other person who doesn't know me. Um, yeah. That's so great. Well, I'll tell you, it, it takes a long time because yeah. I first, the other part of the, the download, there was a seed that was planted seven years ago. I went to my, my husband's family is Italian American and his parents were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary and said, and told us like two or three years earlier, when our 50th wedding anniversary, our dream is to have the entire family in Lucca, Italy. And we're going to spend a week together. And they were going to take care of a portion of it. But they were also telling us well in advance. And I love this because this is all about making your wishes come true. Like, prepare, man. Make it happen. So they told all of the families, like this is going to happen and you're going to have to make some things happen, whether it's clearing your calendar or saving up some money or doing whatever, it's, you know, saving up miles. But we all did it. And we all were in Luca together, which was incredible. And one day I stumble into a little fair, a little craft artisan, you know, artist fair. And I met this woman who was making all kinds of products out of paper. And one of them was this paper bead necklace that was made of like fabric and paper and it was like you know shellacked or whatever and it had so much energy for me and so I bought them and I couldn't stop talking about them I bought them from tons of people I bought them as gifts for tons of my friends and when I got home a friend of mine who is a is a celebrity stylist she's like oh my god Alexa you could totally make this you know when she she planted the seed that I could make this as a craft 
like just randomly pick out magazines or do something. And I was like, oh, cool, maybe I'll do that. I didn't because I'm busy. But, um, but what it did was it planted a very powerful seed. Then you cut to the experience I did with the women at Daybreak and Wish Beads is actually a mashup of the two things. Now, this woman in Luca had nothing to do with visions and writing and paper that you write and, you know, that you can visibly see your handwriting on the paper. It had nothing to do with that. But I owe her a debt of gratitude for planting a very positive seed in my creative imagination because that was where that, that came from. But that first, we just, I mean, it was right around next month, you know, because my, no, 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 my, my in-laws just celebrated their 57th wedding anniversary. So that was seven years ago. Then it took another couple years to do with a Kickstarter campaign. Then I, you know, then I, then it was another um, cut to, your real question is, it was December of 20, gosh, I don't know, Kelly, 2017 or 2018, 2018 that I, I got my first batch of bracelets right before, it's like December 1st, and I held these events and I sold like a thousand that month. And I thought, my God, I'm on wow. to something. I sold a bunch. And I was like, oh my goodness. Because what was happening with the kit, people loved coming to my experience and doing a wish circle and making paper bead bracelets. They loved it. But what happened is I would have some kits for sale. And so a couple people would buy them and they would share them with somebody else. And then I would say to them, so did your friend do it? And you know what they would say? No. (laughs) No one did it. And I thought, oh my God, how am I going to create a movement? Because I want to create a movement of people, millions of people wishing. How am I going to create a movement if I personally have to lead wish circles? This is nuts. I, and I knew, I knew something's not working. I knew there was so much light behind this idea and I felt so supported and I felt like it was, so, it was gonna, it was gonna happen. But I also had to be honest with myself that if people weren't buying, I'm not gonna create a movement or at least I'm gonna do very slowly. So when my friend attended a wish circle and she gave me some feedback, you know, Alexa, this is a great idea, but frankly, I'm not very crafty. And you know what you should do? And I know you know this, Kelly, as a business owner. How many times have you heard that, you know what you should do? And on one hand, ideas or or feedback is amazing. And that's true. We want feedback. But on the other hand, you're just like, oh my God, you have no idea how much I've done or how much, you know, what, what I've done to get to where I am right now. So that when my friend said to me, you know what you should do? You know what you should make? You should make a jewelry version on the outside of my face. I was like, what a great idea. But on the inside, I was like, oh my God, I have just worked so hard to bring this other thing into the world. What? But that day, Kelly, I had a moment in my day later on where I was in a waiting room waiting to get my hair cut in the waiting area. And I pulled out, I looked in my purse and I grabbed an envelope. You know, I just had an envelope kicking around in there in the pen. And I was like, okay, universe. You know what I'm up to. You know what my intention is. Give me the idea. Like, I don't have a year to figure out what the jewelry looks like. Give me the idea right now. I need it right now. Like, if you want me to do this, show up right now and help me. What's the idea? And I drew the picture of the bracelet. The cylinder, the beads, it came like boom. And I came home and I remember showing my kids that uh, that that envelope, which I still have. And I was like, mommy just came up with a million dollar idea. 
That's what I told them when I walked in the door. Wow. Yeah. What I love about it so much is it confirms so many different things. Number one, I'm an advocate and it seems like you're a living version of this, how every step along the way is useful to where you're going. Yes. And even when you feel like you're quote unquote not on your path, you're always on your path yes. because it's your path. Where else would you be? And then you build on these experiences in a way that turns into something so fantastic that was never, that you probably even wouldn't have gotten there if you were deliberately trying to take that straight line. Yes. So I love that part of your story. And I also love the fact that you fucking just ask for it. And yep. that's so true. So many times people are like, I don't have the idea. I can't figure it out. And you have to use your sense of command to command the result that you need and the support. And I love how you just, you're like, now. Now. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's it's a shortcut. And it's a, and, and it's a but it's also... A part that people skip a lot is to command it. Or have this concept that you have to do it right. And I love rituals. I have little altars in my house. I literally, before our recording, I'm spraying my modern mystic clearing spray. I, you know, I love rituals. I love them. However, sometimes you don't need to think that the ritual is not the thing. The thing is the thing. You want it, ask for it. And it can be in a moment where it's not pretty or convenient or it's in a public restroom or it's whatever. It doesn't have to have the trappings. And going back to our beginning of our conversation, you know, I actually was not raised with religious ritual. I, I am comfortable in synagogues. I am comfortable in churches. Um, I've been in mosques. I haven't been actively praying uh, in mosques, but... But but without having sort of a ritualized approach to religion or spirituality has given me this freedom to find my own way. And so sometimes I have I have things that I do and places that I sit when I meditate, but sometimes I just ask the light to show up and help me. And usually when I have those moments, it's like, come on, like, I need this now. Help me now. Give me a sign right now, please. Thank you. Thank you. Um. And I think that that breaking of those concepts, and that's why I love your work and I love Modern Mystic, is it's exactly that's it. It's modern. It's now. What does that look like now? And I think uh, it's exciting to have conversations, especially when it's that intersection between like spirituality and like entrepreneurship. It's like what entrepreneurship right now is basically just the concept that you can, with enough grace and grit, build what you want. And one thing, and I have to give you major props now, Kelly, I can't hold myself back, but you and, yeah, you and I have found uh, a connection, not just in the, our shared mutual interest of intentional um, uh, products, but I love your generosity of spirit and support. And I will never forget when you and I were in New York together and I was, I, I really, you know, built this company based on asking smart people questions, not pretending that I know everything, but actually doing the opposite and seeking advice from people who have more experience than I do in certain aspects. And you were so generous that one day when we went to bead stores and you and I are touching beads and you're like, well, this one, this one, and in my store, this one's really great. And you know what my customers love? And you see how that spirit of generosity and helping another uh, business owner, another woman building a business, because a lot of people can go online, 
and see our beautiful websites and think that our companies are bigger than they are. But at the core of it, we're just women who had an idea and had enough passion and purpose and perseverance and all of it to put it out in the world. But the generosity to support another woman like that, I will never forget that. And it's just so beautiful. So I just love the way that you show up and that spirit of, of collaboration. It's, it's just the coolest. Oh, thank you so much. And that's what a lot of our premise is, is to support. We, we stock almost, I would say at this point, exclusively female-made products or ideated products, and we support female businesses. So I appreciate that acknowledgement. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. Um, I just have a few closing questions. I would, And I think you've kind of brushed, uh, we brushed up upon some of these things, but what does modern mysticism mean to you? How do you define it or carry that with you? Or do you? Mm. Well, to me, it means um, allowing yourself the possibility and the curiosity to bring the unknown into your life in whatever way that makes you happy. And so being a modern mystic might mean, you know, lighting a candle for yourself. And it might mean having a fresh cut flower in your home. It might mean going outside at night, taking a big, giant, deep breath of air and looking at the stars and giving you an instant sense of perspective. But these simple everyday things is what it means to be a modern mystic. It means that you check your mind at the door and say, maybe my ego doesn't know everything. And that if I just keep myself open enough and curious enough about what I cannot see, I might uh, be lucky enough to have profound learning and insight and grace and ease. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And then in closing, what kind of advice would you like to offer for our listeners that are on their own spiritual path and navigating their own way? Is there anything that you'd like to share as a closing advice? Yeah. My friend Alex Franzen, she always has this thing where she's, reminding people that you're doing great. You really are. You're doing great. So for your beautiful people listening, at some point today, go in front of a mirror and instead of invoking that habit to look at your faults, I encourage you to look at yourself and gaze at yourself with love and say, I love you, I see you, and you're doing great. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Okay, lastly, how can people find you, support you, engage with you, Mm. all the things? All the things. Okay, well, I show up on Instagram every morning except Sunday at 8.30 in the morning in California, so Pacific time, at wishbeads.official. And if you want to see what I'm about at Wishbeads, go to wishbeads.com. If you want to learn more about my um, courses and uh, my speaking and confidence skills, that's all over at alexafisher.com. Yeah, that's me. Oh, that's so great. Well, thank you for taking the time to share. Your story is inspiring, and I'm sure it's going to inspire many, many people listening. Thank you, Kelly. I adore you. And I'm excited to uh, to play more with you. I think we have an upcoming wish circle happening in June. Yay. More to come. More to come. Dot, dot, (laughs) dot. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School. 